Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. I just want to read you a small passage from Matthew chapter 6. Um, just the last part of the Lord's Prayer says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your your Father forgive your trespasses. Um, I, I don't think there's probably any one of us who has never struggled to forgive someone. Is, is there anyone like that in here who has never, ever struggled to forgive anyone? Just, just quickly put up your hand and see if my theory is correct. Because <laughs> my theory is if, if you're human and if you have real human relationships, then um, at some stage you're going to have to forgive people, probably more often than not. Uh, and, and it's not always easy to forgive. Um, so I think all of us, know that feeling of having been hurt and having to forgive someone and not finding it very easy, sort of battling with it. And it, it's a struggle in, inside. It's, it's like we sang in those songs, you know, about the storm. It's a storm inside. It's a storm in your heart. Um, sometimes it hurts a real, really hurts a lot. Sometimes it feels like it's, a, it's something that follows you everywhere you go, a weight that you have to carry. Um, so I just want to share a little bit more, more about that and forgiveness. So um, those of you who have Bibles can open with me to Matthew chapter 18. Um, in the last sort of part of Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable about forgiveness that is very powerful and that illustrates uh, some of the dynamics of forgiveness very well. Maybe, maybe I should also just say this. Um, <clears throat> I've in my life, unfortunately, as a pastor, I've seen a couple of people uh, who follow Jesus turn away from him and not follow him anymore. And um, in most of those cases, those people had someone in their life, or at least one person in their life, but usually more than one person in their life, that they could not forgive. What I'm I'm saying to you is... um, Unforgiveness is one of the main causes that I've seen that have caused people to turn away from Jesus. So when we're talking about unforgiveness and about forgiveness and unforgiveness, whether to forgive or not, it's really a big issue. It's not a small issue. Um, I I think the quality of our relationships and, and the sustainability of our relationships overall, and particularly our close relationships like our family relationships, our marriages and so on, are largely dependent on how well we can repent and how well we can forgive. Because that's how you deal with sin and in, in relationship uh, towards one another. I've counseled many people, and, and one of the things that, um, that you need to deal with in terms of counseling is not just inner hurt that people experience, but depression, oppression, and even uh, possession, you know, where, where, there, where there are demonic influences that, 
that influence people's lives and actually change people's lives and personalities and, and, and make people addictive and uh, addicted to certain things. And, and you know, I, I've, I've seen quite a few cases like that. Um, and, and I found that there's a handful of things, you know, if, if someone has been involved in them, then they almost inevitably need some form of deliverance from demonic activity. And, and that's usually stuff like drugs, especially, you know, mind-altering drugs, serious drugs, cocaine, heroin, that kind of stuff, tick, um, occultic involvement, any kind of occultic involvement, whether it's, um, you know, very blatant Satanism or whether it's more subtle witchcraft like reading tarot cards or going to a Shangoma or something like that. But any kind of occultic involvement, often people need deliverance. Um, any kind of sexual sin, and by that mean I, I mean sexual sin that people commit or sexual sin that is committed against people. Um, I find any kind of sex outside of marriage, often people, most often people need some kind of deliverance because marriage is a covenant and we don't always see this, but in the spiritual realm, it gives a protection within which it's safe to have that intimacy of sexual relationship. And when you have sexual intimacy outside of that covenant protection, it op- it, you're a sort of an open target. You're, you're sort of a sitting duck for demonic forces to come and attack you. Um, another one is, is just severe trauma. You know, people who have been in like severe accidents or experienced severe um, abuse or some other kind. But the final one is unforgiveness or resentment. Almost with, without exception, I found that people who have long-standing unforgiveness and resentment in their hearts need some kind of deliverance. Um, and we look at the other stuff, and we look at drugs and occult and you know, uh, you know, sexual abuse and all that kind of stuff. And like, okay, that's bad, but you know unforgiveness? Seriously? Is that like in the same even category as that? And, and yes, it is. And, and I think that's part of what um, this parable that we're going to look at this morning actually teaches, just the seriousness of, uh, with which God views forgiveness uh, of sin. So let's, let's just read that um, parable. It's, it's up on the screen. You can follow on the screen with me. And um, this, this passage sort of divides into three scenes. Um, the first one is where Peter asks Jesus a question and Jesus sort of answers him. And the second one is where Jesus starts the parable. And the, the first scene of the parable is where this servant receives mercy. And then the second scene of the parable is where the servant in the parable fails to show mercy. So let's just read that. It says um, in Matthew 18 verse 21, And Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me, and I will forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Some of your translation might say seventy times seven times. Uh, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is, uh, can be com- may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. A talent was a, a measure of silver, so you could a measure of gold, sorry. So you could read there ten thousand bags of gold. You know, that would sort of be a, um, a sort of an understandable way to translate it. Verse twenty five says, And since he could not pay, surprise, surprise, his master ordered him to be sold, uh, with his wife and children, all that he had, uh, and payment to be made. 
So the servant fell on his knees, implore, uh, imploring him, Have patience with me, and, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master on the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when, he, when the same servant uh, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii um, and seized him. He began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. Or pay back what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants uh, saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported uh, to their master all that had taken place. And then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailer. It literally says there, the torturers, uh, the, uh, the torturers, until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus said, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Sobering, a very sobering and, and in many ways challenging um, parable that Jesus tells. I mean, Jesus doesn't hold back any punches. I mean, he's, he just basically says it as it is. You know, he just, he just puts it out, um, out there and, um, and says it straight. And um, Jesus had just, in the previous verses, uh, Chapter 18, verse 15 to 20, he'd been speaking about forgiveness. He'd said, and if your brother sins against you, go and tell, tell him his fault uh, between you and he alone. And if he listens and, and obviously if he re- repents, you have gained your brother. So he's just spoken about forgiveness. He's just spoken about confronting sin. <clears throat> so um, so on, the, on the one hand, um, we, we shouldn't think that Jesus says being merciful means that you don't confront the sinner. In other words, if someone is, say, abusing you, Jesus doesn't just say, no, you must forgive them and, and, and you know, just allow them to continue abusing you. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. In the, go and read the previous couple of verses. Jesus clearly says, confront the sin. Uh, don't just allow people to continue sinning against you. That's actually, ironically, not being merciful. You're not being loving and merciful if you allow someone to just continue sinning against you. Because it's not good for them to sin against you as a child of God. The merciful thing would be to confront it. First, alone, between the two of you, if, if he listens or she listens and, and repents, then, uh, then there can be reconciliation. But if they don't listen, bring witnesses, Jesus says, and eventually bring it to the church. But the reality is um, that we've got to see this parable in context. It's not saying just be a victim of, continue being a victim of abuse. That's not at all what it's saying. Um, so we, we just uh, please understand it in that way. But Jesus was talking about forgiveness, and now Peter comes, and he asks a question about forgiveness. And he says, Lord, how many times, how often, how many times must I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? And he thinks he's being very magnanimous. <laughs> he thinks he's being very gracious. He thinks Jesus is going to say, oh, Peter, I mean, whew, 
Seven times, that's a lot. I was thinking more like three or four times. But, I mean, you're so gracious, Peter. And Peter was like, yes, I know. You know, I can't help it. This is the kind of person I am, you know. <laughs> Peter actually thought he was being really magnanimous. He was, like, he, he was thinking seven times. I mean, that's, that's like being super gracious. And Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he says, I don't say to you seven times. I say to you 77 times. Or some translations would say seven times, seven times. 77 times, seven times. Um, you know, the, the reality is Jesus and God, uh, because obviously Jesus is God and He represents the Father accurately. God is more gracious than we are at our most gracious. God is more gracious than we think we ought to be. <laughs> That's what that question reveals, and Jesus' response to that question reveals. Um, and we ought to be more gracious to one another than we think we ought to be. We, we ought to forgive one another more, uh, more regularly and more deeply than, than we think is necessary. So, in, in the next verse, Jesus answers Peter... Um, and he, he, he doesn't praise Peter for his great mercy. He says, no, Peter, you, 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 think you thought you were going to get praise and you thought you were going to, like, being very magnanimous and gracious. But I'm telling you, 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 you fall so far short of the grace that I want you to show that it's not even funny. And he, and he says 77, not seven times, but 77 times. And it's interesting, there's a little allusion there that most of us miss. I'm just going to read it to you. <clears throat> from Genesis 4. Now, this is just after the fall in Genesis 4. Um, and, I mean, one generation after the fall, you have the first murder. And, you know, sin just continues to multiply. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, um, both righteousness and, sin, uh, and sinfulness seem to work on compound interest. <laughs> they seem to just <laughs> increase from generation to generation. But... Um, you have this one guy called Lamech, and he's like a great, 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 great grandson of Cain, you know, the first uh, murderer. And Cain murdered, and then God put a mark on him, because Cain said, you know, whoever sees me will, you know, kill me or whatever. And, Cain, and God put the mark on him and said, no, whoever kills you will, will receive seven times retribution. And, and listen to what Lamech says in, in Genesis 4, verse 23 and 24. It says, Lamech said to his wives, <coughs> to his two wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Can you see also the same numbers? Sevenfold, seven times, and seventy-seven times. So, so Jesus is, is using an illusion here. And why Jesus is alluding to that passage is... is, is I think quite obvious, but very powerful. Because that passage so clearly portrays our fallen human nature. We want revenge. We want retribution. And not only do we want revenge and retribution, we want to get back at someone who has hurt us more than they hurt us. We want to hurt them a lot more than they hurt us. I mean, we see this with kids, right? Have you ever, I mean, those of you who are parents or those of, even if you're, you, you have siblings, you'll know this, you know. It always escalates. 
It starts with a little bump or, or, or taking, you know, the toy of, of a sibling or something. But it always escalates. You know, it starts, um, my son, Justin, had a little bit of a, um, a tiff on the, on the playgrounds this week and uh, went to pick him up. I think it was on Friday. The teacher said, no, he'd had a, a, a fight on the playground. And it was so typical of this. What had happened, he was sitting on a, on a tire or something in the playground, and one of his friends um, and I mean, they're actually good friends, you know, it's not like they don't like each other, they actually like each other, came and bumped him off the tire, and Justin turned around and slapped him in the face. <laughs> and then this guy came, and, and I don't know, Justin turned around or something, and he started punching Justin, like, hard on his back, you know, like five or six times, so that there were, like, bruises on his back. <laughs> but, but it just shows you how these things escalate, and we know that, you know. If you're a parent and you've had kids fighting, you know, it starts with a little bump, and then, oh, you hurt me, and I'll hurt you back more, and then I'll hurt you back more, and I'll get you back even more, you know. That's our human nature. I want to get you back more. I want to have the last say. I want to have the last punch, and I want it to be harder than what you punched me. And, And that retribution, that revenge always escalates. And I mean, that's what you see here with Lamech. He said, I killed a young man for striking me. Let me just read that again. It says, um, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. So, so he wounded me, so I killed him. He struck me, so I murdered him. I'm going to do not only what he did to me, but a lot worse. That's human nature. And it seems to be sort of common sense that, yeah, you know, if you want to come out on top, then you have to do that. I remember a book I read when I was at school. I was, can't remember when it was. It was uh, quite young. Um, I, like, I quite liked science fiction, so I read a book called Ender's Game. Uh, a while back, I think there was a movie made of it as well. And it's about this guy, this young genius that they were grooming to be a military general. And one of the themes in the story, was, it was quite an interesting story, and one of the themes in the story was that... Um, this guy, Ender, he wasn't a very violent guy, but whenever he did get into a fight, he realized he needed to finish the fight. And I would completely destroy his enemy so that his enemy could never counterattack again. Um, and um, when he'd get into a fight, he'd like really, he tried to avoid a fight, but when he got into it, he'd, he'd, he'd just try and finish it. Um, and and in, in the story, uh, I mean, he, he gets into, I think, two different fights. One, one as a kid in school, one in, in sort of the military training compound, and then eventually, you know, he gets into this big fight with the aliens that, you know, they were grooming him to attack, uh, uh, to, to defend Earth against. And in every case, I mean, with the kids that he got in, into the fight, um, they don't tell him, but he actually ends up killing both those kids in the story now, because it's just a story. But it, it was so telling of our human nature that when someone hurts us, we want to not only get them back, you know, tit for tat, but we want to do a lot more. And, and, and that's why, why do you think Lamech tells his wives? I mean, he's bragging here about what he did. He says, I'm going to, the, the guy wounded me, so I killed him. Now, if, if, if uh, a Cain is avenged sevenfold, Lamech 77 times. And he's, he's bragging about how much more he does to, his, uh, to people who, who, who harm him than they do to him. I, you know, the reason why he's bragging about it is he wants it to be known. He's telling his wives because he knows they're going to tell everyone else. 
And he wants it to be known that you don't mess with Lamech. If you wound Lamech, he's going to kill you. If you harm him, he's not only going to get you back seven times, he's going to get you back 77 times. It's like the mafia. The mafia do that. Now you, you mess with us, we're not only going to kill you, we're going to kill your whole family. It's not worth messing with us. Let it be known to the world. And that's part of our human nature. We want that. I mean, why do you think this whole, you know, sable rattling on, and so on between North Korea and America is about? You know, between, um, what's it, Kim Jong-un and, 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 and President Donald Trump. What do you think that's all about? Huh? You mess with us, we're going to get you back 77 times. We're going to destroy you so that you can never counterattack again. That, that's what it's about, you know. So that's human nature. And in other words, our human nature is that we want, we, we are very tempted to, and, and, and we most often fall into the trap of going for overwhelming retribution. I'm going to get you back so badly that you can never get me back. And so everyone, no one else even wants to mess with me because they know how badly I get people back, how badly I nail people. Overwhelming retribution. And in stark contrast to that overwhelming revenge and retribution, Jesus presents overwhelming forgiveness and release. Completely the opposite. Not just, okay, I'm going to get you back seven times, you know, more than seven times, 77 times. No, no, no. I'm going to forgive you 77 times. And the, and the number seven years is, is just the number of completion. You know? So it's, it's just a symbolic number. It's, it's basically unlimited forgiveness um, that Jesus is, is talking about, uh, that he wants us to, to operate in. So what he's trying to tell Peter is, Peter, you've got completely the wrong paradigm. Um, I, I want overwhelming forgiveness from you. Um, He starts then the parable, and this is the second scene, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is, is like this. Uh, and he tells this parable. And in other words, it applies to the kingdom. And it answers the question, um, what should relationship be like within the community of Jesus? And, and what Jesus is trying to, to tell Peter and to try, trying to tell us is that What's going on in the world is not just seven times retribution, but 77 times. But what should be going on in the kingdom is not just seven times forgiveness, but 77 times. In other words, we in the kingdom should be exactly the opposite of the world. The world should look at us and say, wow, those guys are different. There's, there's, there's a grace there. We're, 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 with us, it's dog-eat-dog dog and retribution and getting people back, hurting people more than they hurt you in order to defend yourself or protect yourself. With them, it's different. It's forgiving people 77 times, over and over again. It's completely different. It's a different culture, a different a counterculture, if you, can, if you can call it that. So it must be completely different. And um, interesting thing is, again, Peter asks about how much do I forgive, and Jesus tells a parable about finances, about money. A denarii was a a Roman coin. A talent was like a, a bag of gold, a measure of gold. Just like he teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. Remember what I said last time? As we are forgiven our debtors. All sin always incurs a debt. 
When someone sins against you, it's like they owe you something. They've taken something from you. Stolen from, from you physically or stolen from you psychologically or spiritually um, or, or relationally or whatever. Um, but there's a debt. And the king, obviously, in the parable represents God. You know, that comes out in the end when he says, so will also my father do to you if you do not from your heart forgive your brothers. But be very careful. I just want to give you a little tip when interpreting parables. Don't overinterpret them. Don't overinterpret them. Don't think that every little detail of the parable applies directly um, to what that thing in the parable points to. Let me give you one example. Um, the king obviously represents God, but in the, second, in the third scene, the second scene of the parable, the king only knows about the unforgiving servant when the other servants reported to him. Now, God obviously knows everything. He's all-knowing. He doesn't need anyone to report anything to him before knowing it. So you cannot say, well, clearly, you know, if you take every detail, you're going to say, God doesn't know things until we report it to him. No, no, no. You know, get the main picture, the main point of the parable, but don't overinterpret it and read uh, meaning into every uh, little detail. And that, that's important for, for other things as well. Um, so, one was brought to him who, who, um, who owed him, let me just read that. Um, Therefore, the kingdom of, of heaven can be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Uh, when he began to settle, one was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. Now, what this does tell us is that um, in the kingdom, there's going to be a, a settling of accounts. Um, all those debts that have been racked up, all our sins are debts and they've been racked up, eventually the, those accounts will be settled. Eventually there will be a day of reckoning, a day of judgment. In other words, the reality is, you know, sometimes we're very frustrated when we see people seemingly getting away with murder. When you, we look at, at politicians, and, and not just in South Africa, I mean, you look at guys like Hitler, um, you look at guys, you know, all over the place, but, but also in South Africa, who seem to be able to use their power not only to steal or to do corrupt things, but also to get away with it. And, 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 and that's been so all along. The, the rich and the powerful have, have always used their power, power, or very often used their power, to, to get what is not theirs. And that's why people nowadays are so, so suspicious of power. But we see that, and we see people genuinely getting away with it. Or at least getting away with just a little slap on the wrist. And there's not justice, and it frustrates us, because we actually want justice. Because the reality is, I mean, people don't like the idea that God is a God of judgment. Modern people, people don't like that idea. People like the idea that God is a gracious God and a loving God who forgives sins. But, it, but we as modern people, we don't like the idea that God is a holy God and a just God who actually judges sin. But, but think about this just for a moment. If God did not judge sin, if God did not settle accounts, what hope would there be for the world? If there was no justice... The powerful would always only oppress the weak. What hope would there be for the world? There would be no hope for the world. On the other hand, if God is only a God of holiness and justice, and he punishes every sin, and in fact requires that every debt be paid, what hope is there for us? <laughs> because we also, <laughs> we also have debts. We also have sins. We also owe. 
So it's like this, this problem, you know, there's, there's, there's this tension that, that we face with that is, that is a, a massive problem. So he says, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Like I said, 10,000 bags of gold. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Whether it's today, I mean, in those days, a lot, it was a lot more even than it is today. But, but even today, that's a lot of money. Um, and just to give you an idea... One talent, one bag of gold, if you can call it that, was worth about, I think, 6,000 denarii. Or 20, a denarii was, was one day's wage. Um, there's, this, there's this parable where Jesus tells about this guy going to the market and then finding servants there and says, come and work in my vineyard. And then they agree on a denarius for, for, the, for, for the day, as, as the wage for a day. Because a denarius was a, a typical day wage for a, for a worker in, in that day. So um, when we say one talent is about 6,000 denarius, so it's about 20 years' worth of day wages, just one talent. So 10,000 talents. Can you see how much it is? I mean, that's, that's thousands of lifetimes' worth of paying back the debt. In other words, the point of this whole thing is, this guy's brought here, owes 10,000 talents. This, this is a debt that you couldn't pay back over multiple lifetimes. It's an unpayable debt. And it's one guy who owes it. In other words, this guy, in a sense, represents us. Our debt towards God is an unpayable debt. Even if we had a hundred lifetimes, we, we wouldn't be able to pay it back. It's an unpayable debt. And, you know, the, the, the master goes on and he says, um, uh, you know, since he, uh, he could not pay, the master um, ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. I mean, that would be just. That wouldn't be unjust. And just by the way, um, we read that and we're sort of a little shocked at that. Oh, you know, slavery is bad and so on. Just remember, in those days, they had a, a justice system that's called a um, restorative justice system. Our system's called a punitive justice system. You know, in our justice system, if people get, do something wrong, they get punished by, sent, by being, for instance, sent to jail. But in that justice system, if you stole something, you didn't get sent to jail, you had to pay it back. And not only pay back, but pay back sometimes four times. Remember what Zacchaeus said when he, was, uh, when he repented? He said, if I've stolen anything, I'll pay back fourfold what, I have, what I've stolen. That was because that was what the law required. In other words, it, that restorative justice system made sure that crime actually didn't pay. <laughs> the problem with our justice system is crime still pays. That's why crime is so prevalent, because it still pays. It's worth it to do crime. This justice system actually um, is more just because it makes sure that crime does not pay. If you could not pay back that fourfold that you stole, then you had to go and work for that person as a slave or a servant and through your work pay it back. Imagine if everyone who stole in South Africa were made to do that and work back what they had stolen. I think there'd be less theft. And... Certainly, I mean, the victims of crime would at least get something back from it because crime wouldn't pay. And then it says um, in the next verse, um, he fell on his knees and he begged and said, have patience with me and I'll pay back everything. I think he's a bit optimistic. 
10,000 bags of gold. You're going to pay back everything, really? <laughs> He's a little optimistic here. But anyway, it says in, uh, in the next verse, the, uh, out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave the whole debt. I think the master realized, listen, <laughs> you say you're going to pay back everything. I, I, I hear your heart and so on. But you and I both know you're never going to pay back everything. I'll just, I'll just cancel the debt, you know, out of mercy. It says, but when um, the same servant went out, um, he, he found, uh, listen here, it says, when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him, owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. Now, like I said, a denarii was about a, a day wage um, for a working in those days. So a hundred denarii is like a third of your year's salary. So it's a significant amount, but it's not an unpayable debt. It's not like you know, the 10,000 talents, 10,000 bags of gold, not, not even in the same ballpark. But it's, it's a significant debt that you're going to feel. I mean, if, if someone owes you a third of your year's salary, you're going to feel it. But, but it's possible to pay it back. But listen here, it says, this same servant went out and found this guy who owed him this. In other words, he searched for him and found him. He was actively pursuing this guy who owed him money. And a much smaller debt than what he'd just been forgiven. And he grabs him, it says. It, it, the, the words used there are very, very graphic. He grabs him and he starts choking him. He says, grab him by the neck and he's saying, pay back what you owe me now. And this is after this guy had just been forgiven this unpayable debt. And it says, um, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he says almost exactly, he does and says almost exactly what this servant did before the king. He also falls down, he also begs him, he also says, have patience with me, be long-suffering with me. And he also says, I'll pay you back. And um, the only difference is he doesn't say, I'll pay you back everything. We'll get to that difference in a little while. (laughs) He just says, I'll pay you back. Um, And it says, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So he's not at all treating. He's doing exactly the opposite of what the king did to him. He's doing to his fellow servant. He's not treating his fellow servant the way he's been treated as a servant. Not at all. He's not showing mercy as he's been shown mercy. And when the fellow servants... Um, saw uh, what had taken place. They were greatly distressed and went and reported to the master. Um, And then the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. In other words, I didn't forgive you all that debt because you deserved it. I didn't forgive you all of that debt, that unpayable debt, those 10,000 bags of gold that you owed. I didn't forgive you that. I didn't release you from that debt because you deserved it. I didn't release you from that debt because you paid it back. I released you from that debt because you begged me. You, you pleaded with me. And it says, and, and, and this, this verse 33 is, is like the crux of, it's a rhetorical question, but it's, it's the crux of, 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 the, of, of the parable. Just listen to this. He says, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant like I had mercy on you? And we, we know, because it's a rhetorical question, we know the answer is yes, of course you should have. But, but in Greek it's even more clear. In Greek you have um, two words for not. 
and you know you can use one or the other depending on where you, whether you, you expect a positive or a negative answer and, and the one is used that definitely in, indicates a positive answer so, so definitely unequivocally even more clear in the Greek than in the English the answer is yes I should have I definitely most definitely should have if I had received such mercy I should show such mercy and it says and in anger and, and remember when he pleaded with a king, the king said, it's, it says, and in compassion, the king showed him mercy. Moved with compassion. That word compassion is, is the emotion, emotion word that is used most often to describe Jesus in the Gospels. And Jesus had compassion on them as sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus had compassion on them and taught them and healed them, and etc., but now the king, so the king first responded in compassion, but now the king, it says, um, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers or the torturers until he should, be, until he should pay um, all his debt. And um, then it says, so shall my father, my heavenly father, do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So, what Jesus is saying here is that there are dire consequences. God will do the same to us. If, here's the thing. If we want to be in a dispensation, maybe let me take it back and explain it this way. Uh, the tradition that says you must forgive 70 times 7, where does the, 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 the number 70 times 7 come from? You remember that years, hundreds of years before this, Israel was taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. Remember how long they spent there? 70 years. Why did they spend 70 years there? Because for 490 years, which is 70 times 7, they had failed to, um, to honor the law of Jubilee. Every seventh year was the, the year of Jubilee when all debts were canceled and where all slaves were released. And for 490 years, 70 times 7 years, every seventh year they had failed. So they'd missed 70 years of Jubilee. And then God said, for every year of Jubilee that you missed, you're going to spend a year in captivity in Babylon so that the land can have a Jubilee. Seven, that 70 year of Jubilee and the land can actually rest. In other words, God had, as a picture, instituted every seventh year the Jubilee law. So that debts can be forgiven. So that people can not live their whole lives in bondage. But when Jesus comes, he announces, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the broken etc. And then to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. In other words, when he says the kingdom of God is like, in this whole parable, it's a comparison of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God at its very heart is a perpetual Jubilee. A perpetual forgiving of debts. A perpetual releasing of slaves. And the point is, you either live in that jubilee paradigm and receive the benefits of it, the cancelling of debt and the releasing of yourself as a slave, or you don't live under it at all. But then if you want to live under it and, and, and have your debts forgiven and, and, and your slavery, you, you yourself released from slavery, you have to do it to the others as well are part of the kingdom or if you don't if you don't do it to the others 
In other words, if you don't do it to other people, you, you're moving out from under that jubilee paradigm. You're not forgiving their debts. You, you're enslaving them, in a sense, by demanding that their debt be paid back. And he said, then God says, well, you can't not apply it to them and then try and apply it to yourself. You either accept jubilee, you either accept that the kingdom is a perpetual jubilee and you live in that perpetual jubilee, for, not only for yourself, but for everyone else in the kingdom, or you don't do it at all. If you don't apply to others, you are moving outside of that law and that benefit for, for yourself as well. Can you see that? And that's why it says you must forgive them from the heart. Forgive your brothers from the heart. Now, this servant, when he pleaded with the king and he said, have patience with me and I'll pay back everything. He was onto something because he realized you've got to do justice. Everything has to be paid back. There has to be justice. All debts have to be recovered. Otherwise, it's unjust. All debts have to be paid back. Otherwise, it's unjust. So he was onto something, but he was very optimistic in thinking because he didn't just, just, he said, I will pay it back everything. I will pay back everything. And he, he couldn't. There's no way you can pay back that unpayable debt of 10,000 bags of gold. There's no way you can pay it back. And you see, one of the big problems why we struggle to forgive one another is that we don't understand how much we have been forgiven. That servant saying, have patience with me and I'll pay back everything. What does that tell you about that servant? He has no idea how much he owes. He has no idea how great his debt is. He has no idea how much of a debt, and, and by implication, how much of a sin debt there is against the king. And when we fail to forgive one another, it's also because we fail to appreciate how much we owe God. How much, how great our debt is, against, how unpayable our debt against Him is. That He has forgiven us of. If we start to think and just meditate for a while how great our debt against God is, then it will be much more easy for us to and, and think about the fact that he forgave us that great debt. It'll be much more easy for us to forgive one another. The relatively speaking, small debts. Significant, but small, comparatively. Debts that we owe against one another. But the fact that he thought he could pay back everything, make it right, make, make good, make up for what he had done, means he doesn't understand grace in the first place. That servant never understood grace. The fact that he said, I'll pay back everything, proves that. He doesn't understand that he cannot pay it back. And, and, and that's one of the main points of this parable is all of us have a sin debt towards the king that we cannot possibly pay back. And if we think we can pay it back, then we don't understand the gospel. Let me, let me just show you another little illusion then. Sorry, I'm, I'm going a little bit over time, but um, if you see this, I think it's going to really... Um, bless you. Those of you who have Bibles can go with me to Esther. Okay, now I must just find Esther. Where is it? Esther 3 verse 9. In, in those days, 
10,000 was like the biggest number you, you had. I mean, you can see it in the Bible as well. When the Bible wants to refer to a number of angels worshipping God and, and, and nations and angels worshipping God before the throne, that's bigger than 10,000. It says 10,000 times 10,000. <laughs> because that was sort of the, like the biggest number. I mean, we have bigger numbers nowadays. Uh, but, but in those days, that 10,000 was the biggest number. And a talent was the biggest monetary unit. So 10,000 talents is like the biggest number and the biggest monetary unit put together. Okay? But it's, it's more than that. Listen to this. In Esther 3 verse 9, it says, and, and this is, once again, a servant and a king. It's, it's Haman, the bad guy in the story of Esther, who hates the Jews because he hates Mordecai, who put him in a bad light. Mordecai didn't want to fall down and, 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 and bow before him, um, and, and he sort of felt slighted by that. So he, he did exactly what Lamech did. You know, he got me back. You know, I'm not going to get him back seven times. I'm going to get him back 77 times. Um, I'm not only going to kill him, I'm going to have his whole nation, the whole Jewish nation, slaughtered. So he gets permission from the king to kill the whole Jewish nation. But listen to what it says here in 3 verse 9, where Haman is making this proposal to the king. He says, if it please the king, let it be decreed that they, the Jews, be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents, okay, in this case it's of silver, into the hands of those um, who have charge of the king's business. And they, that they may put it in the king's treasury. In other words, what, what does that tell you? That tells you that in this case, 10,000 talents of silver, not even gold, of silver was the price of the lives of a nation. Each one of us, one servant was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents of gold. Each one of us have a debt against God that is so great that the deaths of a whole nation wouldn't be equivalent to it. And yet, in the end, the whole nation doesn't die for it. One man dies for it. But what does that tell you about one man? If one person has 10,000 talents of debt, of gold, which is greater than the lives of a whole nation stacked against him. How much do all the sinners in all the world, past, present, and future, have? And that tells you the value of the one life that was ultimately given for those debts. It tells you that the life of Jesus is worth more than a gazillion nations' lives put together. And we're going to have communion in a few moments' time. And as we have communion, I want you to appreciate that that little seemingly insignificant wafer and that little cup, which represents the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, represents the greatest price that was ever paid in the history of mankind in order to cancel all debts. That was the price that was paid for us. The blood of God himself was shed on the cross. To pay for our debts so that God could justly forgive all debts. He didn't just sweep them under the rug. In, 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 in Islam, there's no atonement. I remember sitting next to a guy on the airplane and asking him about them. There's no atonement. There's no payment for sin. In other words, when Allah in, in the Islamic theology forgives sins, he actually just ignores it. He's like a, 
like a corrupt judge, he sweeps it under the rug. There's no payment made. God is not such a God. He's not like Allah. He requires, he's a just God. He requires, you can start handing out the elements of the communion, please. He requires payment to be made. And payment was made for the greatest debt of all, for each of us. And as we partake of the communion, what I want you to meditate on, I want you to think about this one thing. This little wafer and this little cup that seems so small, this was the price that was paid for you and for me, for our unpayable debts. In other words, this bread and this cup reminds us how great the mercy was that was shown towards us. So just before thinking of anything else, I just want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about how great a price God paid for you. How much mercy He showed you. And by implication, what that means about how much He loves you. How much He loves you. That He was willing to pay with His own life so that you wouldn't have to pay. That He was willing to take your unpayable debt which you would never in a thousand lifetimes be able to work back. And he was willing to pay it himself. And, 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 and here's the thing. Think about this. I mean, we, there's, there's this joke thing about breakfast, you know, and that the, um, you know, the chicken contributed the egg, but the pig contributed the bacon. I mean, I mean when you contribute the egg, you know, you, you give something, but you don't give yourself. But the pig, when he contributed the bacon, he was, he was contributing himself. Jesus is this, this, this bread representing the broken body of Jesus. This is not egg, this is bacon. That is the commitment Jesus has to you and to me. He has a bacon commitment to us, not just the egg commitment, if I can put it that way. Think about that just for a moment. Just close your eyes and just meditate on that for a while. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, that you forgave us so much. Lord, more than we realize, even as we're thinking about these things, Lord, the numbers are just too great for us to really comprehend, to, to really appreciate. You have forgiven us so much more than we realize or appreciate. And we thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. Thank you for your bacon commitment to us. Thank you for your sacrificing your very life, your divine life for us. Lord, we confess to you that we have no idea how much you love us and how committed you are to us. Please give us a revelation, Lord, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, Lord, of, of really how much you love us, how much grace you've shown us. As we eat together this morning, Lord, we pray, Lord, that it will just settle in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that as we eat, Lord, we receive, we acknowledge that we have received you and that you become part of us and we become part of you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's eat together. And Jesus, we thank you for your shed blood that washes away our sins. Lord, we confess to you that we stand guilty before you, Lord. Lord, not only, Lord, through what the sins that we have committed but the obedience that we have failed to commit. 
every day we have sinned against you. And that's why you call us to daily pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We need your daily forgiveness as much as we need our daily bread. Lord Jesus, we receive your blood which has paid in full our debt of sin. And that washes away our guilt and our shame. Thank you that you have mercy on us as we turn away from our sin and ourselves and turn towards you. And then finally, just in light of that forgiveness of Jesus towards us that we have just celebrated, I want to ask if there's, if there's anyone you need to forgive. I want to give you an opportunity now to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to forgive them. But for some of you, I, I suspect you've been trying, there's, 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 there might be someone in your life that you've been trying to forgive many times. And, and often you struggle because that person has sinned against you many times. And maybe they haven't even repented. The communion we've just celebrated reminds us of Jesus hanging on the cross and saying, before anyone had repented to him, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And challenging us to forgive in that way as well. And, and by doing that, Jesus was not saying their sin is okay. The murder, the rape, the stealing, the oppression, the whatever else. The, um, Jesus was not hanging on the cross and saying what they did was okay. I'm condoning by forgiving them, I'm condoning what they do. When you forgive someone their sin, you're, actually, you're not condoning what they do. You're actually doing the opposite. You're first recognizing it as sin and then saying despite the fact that it is sinful, that it is wrong, I'm choosing to forgive it as I have been forgiven. And I also just want to say, when you forgive someone, it doesn't mean that you automatically have to trust them again. Forgiveness... And love should be unconditional, but trust is not necessarily unconditional. God doesn't trust us unconditionally. He says, if you are faithful with the little that has been entrusted to you, more will be given to you. If you prove yourself faithful, I will trust you more. And, and trust is based on a track record of faithfulness. So when you forgive someone, it doesn't automatically mean you have to trust them again. But it means that you should be open to them winning back your trust. Because many of you might be struggling to forgive because you're saying, but, but if I forgive this person, does it mean I must just go back into that situation of abuse and allow them to just continue abusing me? Is that what you're saying? Any? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying you no longer require them to pay back the debt as you have not been required to pay back your debt. Father God, Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us so much and that that weight of the world, that unpayable debt has been lifted off our shoulders, that we've been set free so that we can set one another free. We have been, that we have received mercy so that we can show mercy. Thank you, Lord, that the mercy that we have received is so much greater than the mercy that we will have to show. Thank you that the debt that we have been forgiven is so much greater than, the debt, than all the debts we'll have to forgive. 
Lord, I pray, Lord, that your forgiveness will inspire us to forgive. And I pray, Lord, that we will not be held captive by our resentment and by our bitterness. That we will not drink that poison chalice and expect the other person to die. But that we'll forgive and be free in your grace. I just pray your blessing over every person here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.